Reading today is Genesis 1, 26 through 2, verse 3. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has been... Everything that has been given the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and all the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. Amen. Is this mic working? Can you guys hear me? Nice. Nice. Happy Father's Day. It is good to see you guys here. Is it working? I'm crazy. I can't hear it. Testing. Okay. Well, as long as you guys can hear me, we're going to go for it. If I get too loud, tell me, because I can, I can turn on the preacher voice thing, you know. So... It's good, good to have you guys here. Yesterday was an awesome day. Got to see some of you guys at um, the 10-year anniversary of one of my favorite restaurants and bars in downtown the neighborhood. And you guys ever go to a big event like that and you bump into almost like a family reunion. You bump into people that you've known forever. And um, it, it, was, it was awesome, man. I'm hanging out and talking to people and laughing about store, old stories. And um, it was just so much fun, although we were out in the sun for six hours so, um, and I think my sunscreen worked about half of that time. So I'm, I'm still alive, I'm standing here, but I feel pretty dehydrated. So that's why I got two cups of water. This is not because I'm gonna preach long today. This is just because that's how I'm feeling right now. But while I'm sitting there talking uh, to one of my friends, uh, he's no longer in the industry. And I asked him, I was like, dude, what happened? Why, why aren't you in the industry anymore? He said, well, you know, we got kids. I said, oh, well, that makes sense, you know. You, probably a weird industry to be a bartender, you know, and, and kids and all that stuff. He's like, no, it wasn't that. It's just, I found myself working 50, 60 hours a week so that my kids could have a life, but then I was never in it. And I started thinking like, as dads, I mean, we do that, don't we, at times? Have you found yourself doing that? Like, do you realize how tired we all are? Do you realize how much we're working and pouring our lives out. And not just dads, but, but all of us. And you ever stop and just ask yourself, for what? Why am I working so hard? What am I trying to get out of all of this work? Just a paycheck? Or maybe what that paycheck represents. Maybe that sense of security. Or maybe a sense of being able to provide for ourselves or our value? 
Does your paycheck determine your value? No, no, of course not. But how many of us, if we're really honest, say, it kind of affects my esteem a little how much I'm getting paid, how much I'm able to work. You guys ever inflate the numbers when people ask you how many hours you work? You ever say that? Like, oh, man, I work like 70 hours a week, you know? You know you work 40 hours a week, right? <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk wrote a book called Fight Club, one of my uh, favorite books of all time. And uh, in the book, he says this. I got this quote on the screen. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. The American, the American Dream, summarized by Chuck Palahniuk. Is he right? We look at the difference. I mean, just look at your workplace. Look at the difference of your workplace on a Monday and a Friday, right? So you, we just all came from Friday, and people are just like walking around, zippity-doo-dah, TGIF, man, it's going to be a great day. You guys are going to work tomorrow, right? When you get there, are you going to see the same thing? Is that same like buzz, this magical weekend buzz going to be in the air tomorrow? Like, thank God it's Monday, yeah. Why is there no TG? Why is there no TGIM? Why? And then there's, you know, while we're working, think about this. Our work takes, especially you're gonna, you're gonna send a third of your life working. You're gonna spend a third of your life at your workplace, at your job site. And for many of us, that's a third too much, right? That's, that's a lot of work. We work those 50, 60 hours a week and we kill ourselves. We burn out. Sometimes literally, there was a, um, a report I saw over the holidays from BBC about Japan. And the, the title was called, The Japanese Are Literally Killing Themselves. Um, and it was all about or working themselves to death. Excuse me. And it said this, here's a quote from it. In Japan, there's not a term for a work-life balance. What there is, though, is a word for death by overwork. It's karoshi. And it's considered such an inevitable result of Japan's notoriously grueling work culture that it's hardly even discussed. But every year, hundreds, maybe thousands of Japanese people literally work themselves to death. Statistic after statistic it went into, and it shared story after story. And lastly, the story began, uh, said it's beginning to happen here in the US. So we work these 50, 60 hours a week, sometimes more. And it's not that working hard on its own is bad, it's, it's, our, it's our lack of true rest in between. Right? We work these, we say, man, I've gotta work hard enough all week so that I can earn that rest. I gotta finish these reports, I gotta finish this project, I gotta do this, do this, so that I can have some mar margin in my life to rest. There it is. There's the dehydration. And think about this. Like, what does rest look like for us when we do rest? Does, does, it, does it ever feel like rest for you is just trying to run as hard and fast as you can from work? Anybody? Is that just me? Maybe that's just, yeah. Yeah. What are some of the ways, give me some feedback here. What are some ways we rest on the weekend when you guys are Hanging out, what are some of the things you do to try to find rest? Watch movies, Netflix binge? Just melt your mind in front of a movie, yes. Yeah, what else? 
Surf, yeah, yeah, or tear your meniscus, yeah, that's one of the things. <laughs> what else? What are some other things we do to relax? Take a nap. Mm. Take a nap, power nap it up. Yeah, what else? Surf. Surf, yeah, surf twice. That's the story of some of our lives, absolutely. What else? Anything else? Go to dinner, spend time with family, dates and, and family time, yeah. Go to the kids' soccer games, go to the birthday parties, go to, um, you know, the baby showers, go to these things. Yeah, absolutely. What are some other things? Go to the gym. Yeah. Sweat it out. Good. Marco. Be alone and think. Be alone and think. Mm. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, Marco. <laughs> Garden. Yeah. Gardening. Working with your hands. Cultivating. Yeah. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Surf. Yeah. Sur- I'm glad somebody said. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you guys ever find yourself going and going and going on the weekend and Monday's getting closer and closer and closer and it's like, I got to hurry up and relax and you start like stressing out about not resting enough? Like, I'm going to be so stressed out this week because I didn't rest enough. And you're losing your opportunity to rest because you're stressing. Yeah. Too close to home. And all the while we wonder why we're so tired, unfulfilled, disconnected from God. Where is this rest we long for? Where's the hope of abundant life that a watching world is, is longing for? Is life nothing but an endless hamster wheel of activity? I mean, let me remind you, tomorrow's Monday. Do you feel the pressure mounting? But there's good news for you. And the good news that we see here in the text is that God's not content to let you just stay in this broken cycle. God's not content for his creation to just go on in an endless cycle. He's not content for his children to live below their inheritance. God has something better. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And let's look at this first part of the passage that we read, uh, or Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You think of the creation story. God speaks and things begin to appear. God speaks and there's light. God says, let there be and there is, right? God creates the stars and God creates the earth and God creates the seas and the sky and the the dust and then out of that dust, that he's spoken into existence with his word, he forms man, and he breathes into him the breath of life. That word, pneuma, right? The spirit of God, the breath of life. There's, there's not two words for that in the ancient Hebrew. It's one word. It's the same word. And man becomes a living soul. Literally created from the word and the spirit of God. And man opens his eyes, and the first thing he sees is his father. And the first thing he experiences is rest. 
the sixth day he's made. So what's that mean? What's the seventh day? You guys know this. We just read it. On the seventh day, God what? And God commanded everyone to rest. The first day of man's existence wasn't, hey man, I'm gonna give you some orders. I'm gonna give you a job description. Get out there and bust your butt. Man's first day of life was rest in God's work. You were created to rest. To rest in God. To rest in God's work. In other words, we aren't supposed to be defined by our work. Yet that's like the first thing we ask people when we meet them, isn't it? What do you do? Yeah, because that's going to tell me who you are. Find our identity in our work. But we aren't defined by our work. We're created to rest in his work. You've heard us say it a thousand times here and probably other places. We aren't human doings or human beings. We were created to be, to rest. Rest is God's starting point for us, not work. See that? This is the order God sets up for us. Rest and then, and only then, create out of that rest. But we have it backward. We pride ourselves in our strong work ethic, right? Hard work is a sign of godliness, right? No, actually, A sign of godliness is following God's pattern for our lives. And the true sign of godliness is living God's way. And and for God, rest is, it's it's kind of a big deal. Have you ever read the Ten Commandments? Right? Right up there with don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Sabbath. You need to rest. God saw this as so important. It's one of the big ten Right? Hey, I don't think most of us would like probably kill someone. We might feel like it sometimes, but most of us wouldn't leave here and just kill somebody or steal one of the cars in the parking lot. Why don't we rest? Why don't we Sabbath? Our first experience as created beings with our creator was a day of rest. What, what do we see there? We see In order to fulfill our calling to be fruitful that God tells us to do, we must start from a place of rest, resting in God, abiding in his presence, staying connected to the source of life, his word and his spirit at work in our lives. That is the only way we'll ever be successful in what he's called us to do. Yet, let me ask you a question. How many of us schedule days of rest and relaxation into the calendar before we schedule our meetings and our conventions and our days of work. Nobody, right? Let me ask you a question, and I'd love to hear feedback on this. What does it look like to truly rest in God? What does it look like sometime this weekend, next weekend, as you're taking time to recreate, what does it look like to truly rest in God? Anybody have any ideas? Spend time, boom, spend time with him. It's hard to rest in God when you don't spend time with him. That's a big one, yeah. How can we do that? And to really believe that he's going to supply you Mm. during the week. That's so good. So more than just spending time with God, one of the ways we can do that is spending time with his truth that says things like, I'm your provider. 
So you don't need to strive to earn your paycheck because your job doesn't give you your paycheck, I do. And if that job goes away, I'm still gonna provide for you. You're not your provider, your job's not. Yeah, good. What, what are some of the other truths of God that we could rest in? That's a great one. Us. That he accepts us. He accepts us. We don't have to work to prove ourselves. How many of you guys find yourself doing that? I had this job, um, and uh, I won't say the people's names because that would be unloving. But um, it was one, one. You ever? Well, let's just put it this way: Have you ever had those bosses that like to yell? Oh it happens in the restaurant industry quite a bit. And I had this uh, this boss. I was a manager, and he was the owner of the restaurant, and he. Love to yell. He, it was like, I think it was cathartic for him. It was just kind of therapeutic for him, you know, to get it out there, you know, whatever. What is this speck of dirt? You know, just one of those guys. And um, I remember there was a time, there was this point in my life in that restaurant where I was going to work and I was dreading. I was on pins and needles. I was pent up. I was fearing. And I found myself, whenever he would do that, whenever he would come at me, you know what I found myself doing? Want to defend, want to pounce right back. Why? I need to prove myself. Because I was finding my identity, my approval through somebody's eyes. And what really changed it all for me was when I was talking to a friend about this in our church in, in, in DNA group. And he said, hey man, don't you know how loved by the father you are? I feel like the more you could rest in that, the more free you'd be from whatever this guy says. And I experienced a profound sense of rest more and more increasingly over the, over the next few weeks because I wasn't worried so much about his opinion of me and what he was going to, I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't pent up. I was working as under the Lord. I know that God loves me. I know I'm a son of God. I'm not worried about it anymore. And it freed me from this defensive posture and this uh, tension in our relationship. And now we're actually really good friends. I go there and eat like once a year. Absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> say hi. Tom. That's huge. Repentance demonstrates resting in the work of Christ. I'm not trying to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm not trying to like, prove myself by my works. I'm, I'm resting in his work, and that's allowing me to repent. Repentance is a posture of your heart. I'm dependent upon God and his righteousness for me. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, what are some other ways we could rest in? Yeah, resting from worry. That's huge. Yeah. Appreciate what? Mm. Yeah, man. Thanking God for his blessings. That is a lost art, I feel like, in our world. In our consumer-driven, commercial-driven world where we're always wanting something new. To pause and thank God for what we have. That's, we've, been, we've been doing that a lot with Gavin lately our five-year-old, and it makes sense for him, he's five, but then I look at my own life and I'm like, dude, how am I still acting like a five-year-old? How often am I taking account of God's blessings in my life? Just resting in that, it's so good. Mm. Be still and know that I'm God. One translation puts it, cease striving and know that I am God. I love that. How much of our work is connected to a heart that's striving to get ahead, striving to get security, striving to get approval? Yeah. Let's, 
Walk in grace. Mm. Resting in his work. Grace is unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. He did for me. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So, that went really well and it covered like almost everything I was going to say in that part. (laughs) Thank you, guys. (laughs) You guys are preaching better than I am. That's awesome. Uh, I'll read this quote really quick from Tim Keller. I love this says this. Um, by the way, there's a, a brilliant paper by Tim Keller called uh, Wisdom and Sabbath Rest. Um, it's free online. It's a PDF. It's about five, six pages. I highly recommend it. One of the best reads on gospel-centered Sabbath you'll ever read. But this is an excerpt from it. He says, Sabbath rest is about more than external rest of the body. It's about inner rest of the soul. We need to rest from the anxiety and strain of our overwork, which is really an attempt to justify ourselves to gain the money or the status or the reputation we think we have to have. Avoiding overwork requires deep rest in Christ's finished work for your salvation. Only then will you be able to walk away regularly from your vocational work and rest. You were created to rest. And that brings us to our next point. You're created to rest and to create from that rest. Let's look at Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. I want you to see all the areas in this text that you see God telling them to do something, giving them purpose, giving them creative work to participate in. Okay. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And then one more quick verse in the next chapter. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God designed you to be creative, productive, to bear fruit. And notice something here. Work is not a curse. I know some of us feel like it sometimes. (laughs) Work is not a curse. Work was meant to be a life-giving creative outlet. Creative work was a sign before the fall of man. In the garden, when the world was perfect, God gave man and woman a job. We were created to create, to produce a sense of fruitfulness with our lives. Let me ask you, as you look at that text, what what does work look like before the fall? What are some things that stood out to you? Any words, any any phrases? What's that? Fun. Work looks fun, doesn't it? Can you imagine if work was fun again? Has work ever been fun? Maybe some of you guys have a job and you really enjoy it. You're living more in alignment, if that's true of you, with how you were created and what life is meant to be like. What else? What are some things that you guys saw in there that are creative? Multiply. Multiply, yeah. Multiply, and then you see the seeds of multiplication even in the fruit and among the animals. Yeah, there's a multiplication. We're supposed to fill the earth. We're supposed to move out, do something. 
Yeah. What? There's a purpose and a goal. Yeah. Do this. God's giving them a sense of purpose. Could you imagine what life would be like if there was no purpose? Why would you get out of bed in the morning? God designed us with purpose in mind. Work is not a bad thing. So on the first day of existence, Adam and Eve, God rested, they rested, all of creation rested. Then the work began. And from this, we see an important principle of life. We're to work from our rest, not to rest from our work. There's a big difference. There's a big difference in working so hard that you fall over and try to recuperate versus resting intentionally and abiding in God, trusting in him, spending time with him. And out of that space where you're connecting to the source of life, you're, you're God, you're connecting with his word, his spirit, he's breathing into you again. You're being refreshed. You're being given life again out of that to go out and create. That is the rhythm. That's what it's supposed to look like. The reason they were able to rest was because God had done the work. There's this natural rhythm. So as we're talking about missional rhythms, the first rhythm we're talking about that kind of is the foundation for all the other ones we're going to talk about is this rhythm of rest and create. Rest and create. What? Let me ask you this. Just think about this one. We probably don't have time to dig deep into it discussion-wise, but... What would your work look like? How would it look differently if you had the time to really deeply, truly rest your heart in the gospel and the love of your God, the grace of God, and then creatively engage in your work, not because you're getting a paycheck, not primarily because you're getting a paycheck, not primarily because of any of those things that we work for, but primarily working as unto the Lord fulfilling your purpose there at his job, at the place he's called you to. Your work in many senses is your calling. It's part of your ongoing creation of the world. It's taking the raw materials of creation and cultivating something out of them, creating culture. I don't know what you do for work, you know? Whether you build things with your hands or whether you write code to create websites and programs or whether you shape minds by teaching and educating or whether you got an x-ray machine or a scalpel to, to bring healing to people, if you're creating policies and procedures in a business or in government, if you're, if you're creating art through painting or photography or performing, you name it, if, if you fight for justice, if you fight for liberty, if you fight for beauty to, to protect it, whatever you do, it's part of this creative spark that God has placed in you. You're creating culture whether you try to or not. All the time. The question is, what kind of culture are you creating? As you engage in this creative work God's called you to, what kind of culture are you creating? Whatever you do has the power to be redemptive, to be motivated by the gospel, to paint pictures of the way the world was meant to be. And if you're going to engage in that kind of creative process and the hard thinking that it takes to do that, you've got to have gospel rest in Christ. You can't do it without it. And here's the deal. How you rest and how you create. You see what we did there? The rec, rest, create, recreate? We're clever. I just want to say that. Yep. Yep. Um, how you rest and how you create is missional. Firstly, because your craft itself 
is part of the mission God has for your life. Bringing beauty in the world. Cultivating culture. This is the first commandment God gave man. Be fruitful. What you're doing at work is part of the mission that God has for you. And secondly, because wherever you work, it's a mission field. You've been sent by God on mission, surrounded by coworkers and employees and bosses and, 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 or uh, you know, fellow students, classmates, teachers. Wherever you're at, you're a full-time missionary. And as we say here all the time, God has just rerouted your paycheck through another source. But you're a full-time missionary. That's your mission field. Think about how much time you spend at work. Do you realize how much opportunity you have with those people you rub shoulders with every day? who are watching your life, whether you're aware of it or not. They watch how you work, whether you're lazy or passionate. They listen to how you treat others, whether you're being loving or not. They're reading between the lines. What are they seeing between the lines? How much of God are they seeing when they look at your life? Are you overly stressed at work or are you working from a place of rest? Are you freaked out about things with the business or is your heart resting? In God's plan? Do you find yourself irritated or talking negatively about people in an effort to prove yourself? Or are you resting in what God says about you? Ask yourself this Am I living a life worth imitating? When people look at my life, do they want what I have? Does my life cause them to ask questions and say, I don't get it? What's different about them? There's something different, and they can't explain what they see in your life. Here's the deal. If so, and I hope that's true of us, it's not by our power, right? And if not, then we need the power, definitely. Where do we get that power? And the power comes from the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want to talk about really briefly. And just imagine a pendulum swinging back and forth. We have a picture of the semicircle. There we go. A little pendulum swinging back and forth, to and fro. This shape created by that pendulum is a semicircle, so we're just going to throw that up there, okay? And the results of that rhythm of resting and creating and resting and creating is fruitfulness. In Genesis 1, God told Adam and Eve to bear fruit, right? Now look at John 15. Jesus tells his disciples to bear fruit. Listen to this. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. With every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Abide in me and I will remain in you. Do I have the right? Yeah, cool. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. That'll preach. How much of my life is spent trying to bear fruit on my own apart from God? It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. This feels like some of our lives at times, I think. Lying on the ground, withering and drying up. Such branches are picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you bear fruit? By abiding. By abiding, abiding in God, staying connected to the source of life. The truest sense of rest is what we were talking about, abiding in Christ. It's a rhythm we see in nature, isn't it? This resting and creating, this abiding and growing and bearing fruit and pruning in order to abide again. See, at one end of the pendulum's arc is fruitfulness, and at the other end is abiding. We can't have one without the other. You guys see that? As we rest, then we flow into creating. As we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. And guess what he does? He prunes us. Why? So that we can grow and bear more fruit. If you're not growing enough in Christ, if you're not bearing enough fruit, ask yourself if maybe you're overgrown. You ever do that spiritually? Listen to tons of sermons and then do nothing with it? (laughs) I've never been guilty of that personally, but I'm just thinking maybe some of you guys have. (laughs) Are you pruning your life? Are you allowing God to prune you? Are you taking things out of your life so you have margin? to abide or are you packing your calendar your schedule up so full and just trying to squeeze little like God into the little margins wherever you can fit him what's the first thing you start putting in your calendar this is the rhythm of the swinging pendulum we cannot bear fruit if we don't spend time abiding and we also can't simply stay put in the abide mode because branches that do not eventually bear fruit, are cut off and cast into the fire. So this is essential in order to be disciples. This rhythm is foundational for us. And what's that rhythm look like? Well, let me ask you guys this. On your calendar right now, could you go, anybody use Google Calendar? Or maybe you're not digital, maybe you're more analog, you have a paper calendar, you know, a day planner, three-ring binder. Um, Do you have any places in there with scheduled time of abiding with God? And think about it in these ways. Every day, do you have some time? How about every week? Do you, do you take a Sabbath? Like, was God just kidding about that one commandment? How about monthly or seasonally? Do you put that into your calendar? I know for a long time, I was guilty of not doing this. For a long time, I was working, when we first were playing the church, I was killing myself, working three jobs, trying to start a nonprofit, and trying to start a church at the same time. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, and one of my mentors, uh, a friend of mine, he was talking to me, he said, hey man, um, <laughs> would you kill somebody? He did that whole thing. That's where I got it from. Good old Caesar. And he said, would you kill somebody? I was like, no, of course not. He said, then why don't you Sabbath? Is God just serious about one and not the other? And I was like, dude, I don't have time. He's like, that's your problem. You need to make time. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it was really hard. And my wife had been on my case too. She's like, babe, you need time off. And I was like, I just don't have time for that. She's like, start with four hours then. Start with part of a day. Start with something to honor God. And I did. And now, I'll tell you what, the most life-giving time of my week is my Mondays. I disconnect from the phone as best I can. I, I try not to Netflix binge as best I can. 
I relax. I mean, I don't spend the whole day like just on my knees praying. I relax. I go out to the beach. I walk with God. But I do take some time and I try to abide with God in that time. And I rest. And it's made so much of a difference in my life. And I just want to encourage you guys to do something like that if you don't have that already. And Nancy and I rest very differently. Her Sabbath is Sunday. You know what she does? She goes and hangs out with her friends and they'll go surfing or they'll go take a plant painting class like you did last week or they do all kinds of fun stuff and me I'm believe it or not an introvert and by nature I'm just high functioning and um on my sabbath I get away I get away from it I'm I'm sitting there with a John Steinbeck novel or something on a beach and and away from everybody because I need that margin I need that space to be with God um so we're we're all different. There's no like cookie cutter way to Sabbath. There's no cookie cutter way to do this. But here's what you do. You bring it to God. You say, Lord, I want to honor you with my life. I need to rest so that I can truly engage in this creative calling you have on my life. I need to rest in you. I need to abide in you. Help me know how. Holy Spirit, lead me. Direct me. Will you guys commit to doing that sometime this week? If you don't do it already and start looking at the the denominations of your life, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, and say, how am I taking seasons of rest in all this? And I'll just uh, say this here. So this is my last time preaching for about, about a m- month and a half, Kenny, I think. So, um, and the reason, the reason why is because I'm about to take a sabbatical, which, again, I'm learning. I've never really taken a sabbatical my whole life. And it's like 12 years of full-time ministry probably a bad idea and uh, <laughs> so I'm not like dying on the vine I'm not like angry at God this isn't a reactive sabbatical but it's a proactive sabbatical saying Lord I want to honor you I want to be faithful I want to spend some time abiding with you so I'm gonna take the month of July and just be off just relax and and connect with God and do the hard work of the hard work of reconnecting my soul to the source of life my father loves me amen so uh this sermon could really beat you up and crush you if we left it there. So as we wind things down, I want to take it to the most important part of all and look at the life of Jesus. This sermon is not about your work. This sermon is about God's work for you. Amen? This sermon is about resting in the finished work of Christ and what he's done for you. So how did Jesus live this out? Really quickly, I threw some scriptures up here from Mark as an example. Right? Look at Jesus' life. In almost every chapter as you're walking through Mark, you see periods of rest in Jesus' life. Mark 1 all the way to Mark 6, you see him resting, extended times of retreats, withdrawing with his disciples, going on a mountain to pray, praying in the mornings. You see him over and over resting and abiding. If God in the flesh needed this, how much more do we need these times of abiding with God? We see him time and time again doing that. Jesus rested then. Jesus created out of that rest. And that's the stuff we talk about all the time. First of all, of course, he was a carpenter, but he did, Jesus came to do ministry. He traveled from town to town. He ministered, he preached and taught, he healed, he prayed. He discipled his followers all the time. Jesus was creatively engaged in his calling. And that's a great example, but it's more than an example. And here's why. Here's the gospel. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. Jesus rested. 
in the Father's love and approval and sovereignty for every time that we've sought that false rest elsewhere in places apart from God. Jesus creatively engaged in his calling for every time we've run from our creative calling or we've sold it out for 30 pieces of silver in a different job. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live and he died a death we should have died. He became sin. He suffered under the weight of our striving. Jesus suffered. He toiled under the load of our false resting places. Those places we go that we don't want anybody else to know how we rest, where we're looking for soul rest, those addictions, those false temples. He was crushed under the pain of our shame and guilt. Why? Why did Jesus live that perfect life and die that death for us? So that we could find true rest in our Father. And out of that rest so that we could discover the true creative calling we have in life. Do you see that? Do you see that? Can you... Let that not just be an intellectual truth today, but let that start to marinate on your heart. That God loved you so much. He wanted you to be free from the toil. He wanted you to be free from the, the stress that you have going on in your mind, trying to plan everything out. The nights you lie awake in your bed, replaying conversations that went on earlier in the day, trying to find a way to fix everything in your life. He sent his son to set you free from that. Today, because of the gospel, you're free. And you don't have to spend one more second striving to find life. Because abundant life was purchased for you by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? Jesus says this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Close your eyes as we close with me. And I, I just want you to envision this finished work that Christ did in your place. That this, this, this work that he did so that you could rest. And I pray that as you envision that, it just begins to fill your heart with worship. If you let this just melt your heart today, it will transform your life. Doing all this creative stuff to rest is great, but if it's not coming from a place of resting in the gospel, ultimately it won't be the real rest your soul is longing for. But if you'll let the gospel free you today, you'll be free to creatively engage like never before in your calling. You'll be free to plan rest in your life because you know you're not defined by what you do, because you know he'll supply your every need, because you know he's in control, and if you seek him and his righteousness, everything else will be added. So, so let's take time today as we close to dwell on that finished work And as we take communion after, take time to remember his work in your place. That's the reason we get to rest. Let me pray. Father, I I stand here today the first offender of this. 
the one who so often spends time trying to rest apart from your grace. I stand here today broken and confessing that I have not honored you in the ways that I've walked this rhythm out so often in my life. Very often I've, I've fallen prey to trying to plan it out and be in control and be my own God, my own functional savior. I've looked to other things to be my functional savior instead of to you. And Lord, I pray that you change my heart today and I pray you would change the heart of everyone sitting in this place that we would begin to look to you as our righteousness, as our loving Father who's given us approval and affirmation in Christ. I pray that we would hear your voice spoken over us like Christ at baptism. This is my beloved Son. I am well pleased with him. And that was before Jesus did any ministry. It was because of your love for him. And I pray that we wouldn't look for your acceptance in our works, in our ministry, in uh, proving ourselves to you, but Lord, that you would free us to see that we have your love, we have your acceptance, we are your beloved kids because of what Christ has done in our place. Free us from the toil. Free us from searching for our identity in somebody else's eyes. Free us to really rest in you to freely create like never before for your glory out of that place of deep gospel rest. We ask all these things in your name and for your glory and by your grace because we can't do it on our own. That's the point. We need you. Have your way over these next few moments as we respond. Please, Lord.